Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, yes, of course, there's been a lot of talk about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And yes, the election is Tuesday. You know, there, there really has not been so much talk about their actual policies. Christina Hooper is from Allianz Global Investors, and she is going to help us break down what you might see if you get a President Hillary Clinton or a President Donald Trump. This is Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Steve here in the studio. Uh, one day before Election Day, huge, huge time in our nation's history, big time in the market, too. Uh, you look at the, the market on Monday, big rally. Of course, uh, Sunday night late, we get news that the FBI has completed its review of the emails it found on Anthony Weiner's laptop or, or you know, uh, and found nothing. So today the markets come in, overseas rallied. Now the U.S. is rallying. Well, you saw the dollar immediately react right, yesterday. Right, right. Um, and interestingly, we put it looks like, looks like we'll put an end to the nine-day losing streak well, uh, yeah, I or, mean, of, of the S&P 500, which had gone back quite a while. Right, right. And we're, we're taping this uh, early Monday afternoon, folks. So, I mean, right now it'd be pretty shocking uh, if the market closed in the red. Uh, the thing I think is interesting is you, you look at the S&P 500, and I looked it up. You know, uh, The S&P 500 was at about 2129 in the minute or two before those first FBI email headlines hit the tape on Friday the 28th, which started this whole thing. Uh, the the S&P's high on Monday, so far at least, is 2129. I, I mean, an almost perfect retracement of the entire, oh my God, Hillary might get indicted, sell-off thing. So you, you kind of see where the market's head is about this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at a lot of the charts today, and it seems to be a fair amount like a like a roller coaster. If you look at the VIX index, which tends to rise when uh, stocks fall, you know, it's going it was going up and up and up and up, and then it came crashing down today, and kind of the opposite with stocks. It's uh, it, it, it's quite a quite a lot of positioning that seems like it had been built up over the last couple of days. Absolutely, and you know, what's interesting is is so you can start looking at what will happen post election, and to do that. Uh, grocer, I know grocer. I wasn't going to forget about Christina. Uh, to do that, we, we got a little carried away there, Christina. Sorry, but to do that, we have on the phone with us today Christina Hooper, who is U.S. investment strategist at Allianz Global Investors. Christina, how are you? Great, thank you. And uh, you know, we wanted to have you on. You had written a note about the. Um, what might happen depending on who you, know, you took a look at both candidates and their policies, and, and we kind of want to go through that. We thought it was a good note, and we think that'd be valuable for everybody. So, I also think you know, Christina, it's an important note because one of the things we really didn't get in the debates um, was any kind of like our you know very little policy very little, discussion, yeah. which you know could have an impact after the election in you know giving. One of the whoever wins a mandate to you know sort of start pushing their policies forward. Yeah, um, it would be hard to say like anyone you know went to the polls because of this reason or that reason. Right. And and Christine, do you guys have a, a sort of house view there about who's going to win tomorrow, or, or have you have you gone there? We don't have a house view okay. on who's going to win. 
What we have cautioned is that this is a very unpredictable election season, and what we saw with the Brexit was a surprise outcome. So be prepared, certainly, for the possibility of a surprise outcome. Yeah. Okay. But either way, somebody is going to win the presidency on Tuesday. Uh, the leading candidates, of course, are Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. So, Christina, let's start going through some of these uh, some of the aspects of this that you were writing about. And, you know, I, we'll just start at the top. with, with Yeah, government spending. Government spending. Both, both candidates have come out yeah. with uh, big sort of fiscal stimulus plans. Right. So, um, but those fiscal stimulus plans differ a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton would be spending a lot in a variety of different areas, like on education. The one area of fiscal spending that would be similar to Donald Trump's proposal is infrastructure. She plans, uh, she'd love to see a $275 billion spend on infrastructure, including a $25 billion infrastructure bank. Uh, and that could be positive for the economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we look at multiplier effects, according to the Congressional Budget Office, infrastructure spending typically has a pretty high multiplier effect. Now, of course, it varies over time and region and and economic circumstances, but the multiplier effect could be as high as 2.2 times on infrastructure spending. So that's an exciting area. But she plans a lot of spending in a variety of different areas including early education programs, et cetera. Whereas with Donald Trump, what you'd see is beyond his infrastructure spending plans, tax cuts. And that would be his fiscal stimulus. Mm -hmm. Uh, In particular, corporate tax reform. He'd like to take the corporate tax rate down from 35% to 15%, which is very significant. Um, We've heard for years criticism of U.S. corporate tax rates as being very high relative to other countries. Uh, So this would make the U.S. far more competitive. Yeah, and of course that's the the nominal tax rates, right? I mean, the effective tax tax rates are almost always lower. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... no, I was just going to say, and this is this is an issue that the government has sort of struggled with because you've seen this with the host of inversion deals um, of the past. You know, they slowed down um, this year, but in 2014 and 2015, as many, especially healthcare companies, lined up yeah. to find lower tax rates across the world. You know, beyond the tax rate, though, getting back to infrastructure because I think that's important. I mean, especially. I don't know where you're located, Christina, but here here in the New York metropolitan area, forget about the multiplier, forget about what it means for the economy. Uh, our roads are terrible. Our bridges are in bad shape. Like the infrastructure spending beyond any kind of stimulus, like you can make a case for it just on the fact that we need it. Oh, absolutely. I'm just a few blocks from you in New York, so I can okay. tell you that um, we – routinely say prayers just to cross local bridges and go through local tunnels uh, with good reason. Uh, And in fact, the um, many different groups, including uh, the the organization of civil engineers, has called for spending over, you know, two trillion dollars to really repair, replace our infrastructure in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some areas of the country, we are so woefully behind where we should be. We just haven't seen that kind of capital investment on the part of the United States in decades. 
there's absolutely a need for it. And what's really interesting about infrastructure spending is that there is an even greater return on investment than just multiplier effect. If you go back to the Great Depression, uh, one of, I would argue, the crown jewels in the New Deal program was the Works Progress Administration, Mm -hmm. putting Americans who were out of work to work uh, in a variety of different government programs really focused on infrastructure build-out in the United States. Um, These workers, not only did they get off the unemployment rolls, but they built some really impressive parts of the United States infrastructure, including the Golden Gate Bridge and LaGuardia Airport. Now, LaGuardia is ready for uh, a renovation, (laughs) but, but think about the return on investment in terms of usage over decades. And so there's this incredible potential to create, again, uh, an infrastructure that supports economic growth for decades to come. Yeah. And it's not just infrastructure in terms of roads and bridges and tunnels. We're also talking about infrastructure in terms of telecom. So there are so many um, ways that we can positively impact the economy and uh, stimulate the economy right. over the shorter term with infrastructure. Y- yeah, it's so funny. It's you win-win. Win-win. You mentioned the WPA, and I've, if you ever, if you're in Connecticut and you're on the Merritt, you know the Merritt Parkway. Yes. Yes. If ever on that Parkway, this is really interesting. Look at every bridge and overpass. They are all, every single one has a different design, and that's because it was a WPA program. And what they did was they hired a different architect and a different design team and a different construction crew for every single bridge to what you were talking about, Christina, to maximize the number of people getting work. Absolutely. And they did great work. There was an enormous amount of pride in craftsmanship. Right. And uh, it was it was something that, again, we can enjoy um, so many decades later. Very many education buildings. Manhasset High School on Long Island was built by the WPA. Uh, the list goes on and on. The Cow Palace in San Francisco. Um, so, so much was done. Uh, now, of course, neither... Clinton's or Trump's plans are on that scale, mm-hmm. um, but at least it's a start. Right. All it's right. also su- it's it's oftentimes surprising to me that this doesn't get more bipartisan sort of support, even though I agree, Trump yeah. and Clinton are both behind it. Um, you know, just because for the economy to be able to move goods, services, information across mm-hmm. the country, is, it seems so. Just it's the bones of our economy. You would sure. think that – and you know what? Actually, I think that's a great point, Grosser, and that's something that I, I want to talk about. But we need to take a break. OK. Hold on to that thought, Christina. Hold on to your answer. Uh, we'll come back after this, folks, with Christina Hooper. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Hey, this is Steven Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. 
Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. And folks, listen, we love that you tune in. We love that you uh, click on us and listen to this podcast. If you want even more great stuff from the journal, you can check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. We have a lot for you to choose from. We've got Your Money Matters, WSJ Opinion, the Tech News Briefing, Speakeasy, the Free For All, Heard on the Street, and of course, the Money Beat Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. You can also be a subscriber. Then you get this stuff automatically. It comes to automatically. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and your Google Play Music app. Paul and Stephen here in the studio on Monday, the day before Election Day. Ben Eisen also. And Christina Hooper from Allianz calling in. Christina, how are you? Good. Thank you. And and where we left it off was I thought it was a, a, a really good point that you brought up, brought up, Grocer, about why isn't infrastructure spending more of a bipartisan issue. And what I think that really gets to, and, and Christina, you, you, you talk about this also, is what is going to happen with Congress after this election? That is going to be critical. Beyond who becomes the next president, what is the makeup of the next Congress going to look like? And what what is going to be the relationship between the executive and the legislative, legislative branch? That that really is the, the $60,000 yeah. question, so to speak. I mean, what we have is uh, a variety of different potential scenarios. We certainly don't think a Democratic sweep uh, is in the cards, uh, mm-hmm. such a small, small likelihood of it. There could be a, a small majority in the Senate that's Democratic, but we would, of course, have a Republican House. And most likely, if Trump were to win, we would have a Republican Senate and a Republican House. But an unusual relationship, um, perhaps, between the Senate and House, led by what you would call more career politicians, and, of course, Donald Trump, who has at times been at odds with them. Um, also, Donald Trump is not a fiscal conservative. And we know that Paul Ryan very much is a fiscal conservative. So there's a question mark as to whether even Donald Trump would be able to get many of his proposals. Um, he would. There's a question as to whether he would see many of his proposals come to fruition. Now, of course... Hillary Clinton could be walking into a very difficult situation, just given the history over the last eight years um, between a Republican legislative body and uh, a Democratic president. Uh, however, uh, there it has been the suggestion, whispers, that she would throw an olive branch to a Republican Congress, perhaps offer up some some level of corporate tax reform, certainly not in the, the magnitude of, of what Trump proposes, um, in order to uh, work towards compromises. But we think it's unlikely that much of, m- much of her spending plans will come to fruition uh, with a Republican Congress. But interestingly, that will probably be greeted by markets positively because they like a fair amount of gridlock. And I think just to bring this back to infrastructure um, a bit, I, I mean, it seems like that sort of raises questions about, one, whether any infrastructure bill could really get passed. And if it does get passed, um, you know, would it be watered down to the extent right. that does it really make a difference? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of high hopes in the markets for some sort of all-encompassing infrastructure bill that would, um, you know, would be inflationary. It would it would really kind of uh, add a substantial amount to the GDP. But, I mean, if, if you're talking about compromises here, maybe you see something that's a little bit more in line with what we've had in recent years, which were infrastructure bills that, that, you know, did a fair amount of good, added a little bit to GDP, but didn't really change the game in, in terms of what we discussed with the great the, the New Deal during the Great Depression. Right. And, you know, the other amazing aspect of all this, too, is that interest rates are so low. 
Like they could borrow for virtually nothing. It, all right, Christina. Well, that, that, that's what Larry Summers was proposing. Right, right, right. Uh, let, let, let's move on because there's a lot more that we need to talk about, Christina. Let's run through some of the other uh, aspects of the candidates and their platforms. Do do we want to talk about what do we want to talk about next? What do you think, Grosser? Uh, taxation did kind of sure. hit on that a little bit, but but no, Christina, run us. Uh, what do you think about uh, the candidates' tax plans? Well, certainly Trump's plan to cut corporate taxes could very well be stimulative. Um, what is not likely to be as stimulative is personal income tax cuts. What we know about individuals is that the higher their income, the more likely they are to save any additional savings. So while income tax cuts uh, typically have a higher multiplier effect among lower income Americans, uh, they are typically not productive, don't have a high multiplier effect among higher income Americans who choose to typically save that amount of money. So um, any tax cut proposals should be focused on lower income Americans if we wanted to impact the economy. Um, and Trump proposes tax cuts for all Americans um, and also a simplification of the tax code, which would probably be a good thing. The tax code has become um, incredibly complicated mm -hmm. and difficult. So, so some simplification uh, could be helpful, but we'll never get to the era of, um, or we'll never get to a stage proposed by Steve Forbes so many years ago of a flat tax, mm -hmm. I don't think. And one of the interesting things is both your first two topics and what you're just, you know, infrastructure and reforming sort of <laughs> our tax system. Um, you, you see both sides, both Democrats and Republicans, you know, both will call for this I mean, to some degree. Right. But, it, it, but they're never going to get on the same – and they never seem to be able to get on the same page and actually push that forward. Yeah, that's true. Hey, let, let's talk about something that the markets care intimately about, trade. What do we think of trade, Christina? Well, wow, that's that's another very uh, difficult topic because yeah. that's a good way to put it. <laughs> but but so important, and right. um, you know, interestingly, we have one candidate who is incredibly uh, anti-free trade. Um, Donald Trump is just a, a, a strong protectionist, and we have another candidate, Hillary Clinton, who arguably was pro-free trade. Um, really has been pushed into a corner from both uh, her challengers in the primary, like Bernie Sanders, mm -hmm. um, as well as Donald Trump, to be more protectionist, although I don't know if it's necessarily going to be her stance once she gets into office. That certainly remains to be seen. Um, what we know about protectionist policies is they could provide a short-term positive benefit, but over the longer term, they're a negative um, what we'd love to see and what economists love to see is when um, goods and services are produced where they're done the, the most efficiently. And so that takes efficiency out of markets when we have um, protectionism. And, of course, the fear is that, of course, if we, um, we embark on, on a number of tariffs, that what we'll ultimately arrive at is a trade war, which doesn't benefit the United States and certainly hurts U.S. consumers. Right. Yeah. Almost certainly without it. I mean, I don't think we've seen, uh, yeah, have we seen a real trade war in 
I don't know, decades, if, if not long. When was the last time we saw a real trade war? No, really what we've seen recently is a currency war. Yeah, right, um, right. Who'd want to add to that and complicate it with a trade war? <laughs> yeah. One of the uh, one of the questions I'd like to is just the market uncertainty because I think that's what's unfolding today is you've seen last week was – Everyone's like their assumptions that Hillary would win the president, but she, you know, the Democrats wouldn't sweep, you know, the Senate and uh, the House. Markets like that, as we said, they like gridlock. They like sort of knowing what they're what to expect. Today, that seems to be back on the cards. Um, but is the market sort of setting itself up? I mean, what's your feeling on sort of you know this rally we're seeing today? Uh, it just reminds me of the words of uh, a very wise man, Benjamin Graham, who said, in the short run, the stock market is a voting machine. In the long run, it's a weighing machine. And so we're just seeing these incredible gyrations uh, as each scenario is getting priced in. And uh, the market could be setting itself up for disappointment tomorrow which is what we've warned for a while. Um, we don't necessarily believe polls. We think that there are many who are queried who may not be truthful in polls because they fear their views are would be perceived as unpopular. I think that that was certainly a theme that came through loud and clear in the Brexit vote. So um, while it seems more likely that Clinton will win tomorrow, we have to uh, be prepared for a a surprise outcome. And when I say surprise, not necessarily just a Trump win, but a too close to call contested election, which I think is also uh, a distinct possibility. Well, one question I have for you, Christina, I, I'm wondering if you see any similarities between uh, the way the market is acting now ahead of the election and, and maybe how it acted ahead of the Brexit vote back in June. I think very similar. Um, we're seeing uh, a, a a very, um, very similar type of behavior. And so, of course, we could see a significant sell-off. Now, arguably, it would be short-term if it were a Trump victory with certainty, but it would uh, arguably be longer-term sell-off and just uh, an overall pressure on the market if it were an undecided or, or very contested uh, election outcome. You know, it's interesting, too, is... is you know, you talk about Brexit, you talk about the U.S. Uh, what I thought was really interesting about the overseas reaction to the FBI news was, yes, you had a rally in Europe. All the, the indexes there were up. The place where the where the, the biggest rally was Italy, which has a referendum coming up this year that is, you know, could largely determine what happens with in terms of Italy and the EU. You know, that is a place where they are extremely sensitive to the thought of this sort of populist rising wave. So, the, you know. and, and it's also because, I mean, Italy's financial system is, you know, incredibly troubled too. Yes. I mean, like Italy has a lot of issues that make it very volatile in and of itself. Right. And because you'll remember after the Brexit, that was the big concern. The, mm -hmm. You know, ground zero really became the Italian banks. Right. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of concerns in, in Europe, um, to a lesser extent in Asia, but certainly uh, around the globe about the potential for a Trump presidency. And uh, I think that's certainly what we saw manifested in, in um, the rally, um, mm -hmm. the recent rally, because uh, I think a Trump presidency 
creates a great unknown when it comes to foreign policy. Uh, and, and in particular, our relationship with Russia going forward, which is, of course, a, a big, a big interest to Europe. Right. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. So, you know, without a doubt. Um, and also his, his comments just about NATO, too. I mean, he's thrown some of the yeah. bedrock treaties, you know, that the, the U.S. has signed, you know, raise questions about them. More than raise questions about them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, more, more than raise questions. Basically, he said, like, pay us or we're not going to protect you, which is, is, you know, to European nations. That's terrifying, especially given what Russia has been doing lately. So, yeah, I mean, just extreme sensitivity to what happens here tomorrow in Europe. What, what the other question I have is, what is this? What is a Trump? If Trump was to win, what does he mean for the emerging markets? Um, is, 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 are, with his sort of trade views and stuff like that, is, are they at risk of some, you know, sort of turbulence? I would argue that they would likely see significant volatility downward volatility if there were a Trump election. Mm -hmm. Again, who knows how much of his plans will come to fruition, how much he means of what he says right now, um, but it certainly will create fear in what is in the short term a voting machine. And uh, we could see a significant sell-off and uh, significant volatility. The other part of the emerging markets equation, of course, is the Fed. Now, Donald Trump has been very vocal about the Fed, um, his views on where rates should be going. And so there, of course, is this uh, rumor going around that if he were to win the election, that Janet Yellen would resign. If that were to happen, uh, the presumption is that he would put in a more hawkish uh, FOMC chair, uh, that perhaps in general the, the tenor of the FOMC would become more hawkish and we would see rates increase more quickly. Now, again, those are a lot of, of what ifs. Yes, right. But, but, if, but yeah. if we were to see rates rise more quickly, then we, of course, could see more pain for emerging markets as well. Yeah, well, and, and, look, and even if, if well, even you, if Yellen didn't resign, you would think she would have a more, you know, somewhat more acrimonious relationship with the president if it was Trump than if it was Clinton. It would be like Humphrey Hawkins' testimony yeah. every day of the year. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> and, and it also just comes down to this. I mean, the, the the extent that the markets have been tied to the Fed, there's probably no more important relationship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. The, the last thing they want is turmoil at the Fed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we could go on for hours about this, but by the time we'd be done, the election would be over. So <laughs> let's wrap it up there. Uh, Christina Hooper from Allianz, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you soon. And everyone out there, we will catch up with you again very soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.